I smiled this week when I saw a, uh, a, rev- a weather report on uh, social media for Western Michigan. My, my wife and I grew up in Grand Rapids and Kalamazoo. The first church I served in was Holland. And uh, Western Michigan is a great place to live May through November. It's not a great place to live right now, and here's why. Because the forecast on Wednesday was for 20 inches of snow. Now, some of you may think that's amazing. You probably have never lived there, okay? So when I I saw this, I smiled because I thought, this is one of the reasons why I love living in Indianapolis, because we get a little bit of snow every once in a while. In fact, um, December 31st, New Year's Day, I played golf in, in Indianapolis and was pretty thrilled with it. But I will tell you that there is one thing that I miss about those cold winter days with a massive snowfall. It's not the shoveling, it's not the snow blowing, it's not the travel. Here's what I miss. I miss the scene of a massive snowstorm and a warm fire in my house. Anybody else like a fire? Let me see your hands, all right? A contained fire, okay, a contained fire. (laughs) I love fires, in fact, when my family and I go camping, I never camp in a campground that won't let me have a fire. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, camping and fire, like, they go hand in glove. Like, they have to go together. And not because it's where I cook my food, unless it's a s'more. Um, It's not the place that I need heat. I've got a camper with 90 gallons worth of propane gas. I'm fine. The reason that I want a campfire at a campground is because of the environment that it creates. So think about why you love a fire. What are the things that you like about it? Maybe it's the heat, the warmth. Maybe it's the flickering light. Maybe the crackling of wood. Maybe it's the smell. I love all of those things. It's part of the ambiance of what it means to have a fire. When you put together the heat, the flickering light, the crackle of the wood and the smell, there's, there's a feel that it creates. It creates a warm environment. Around a campfire at a campsite actually has the way of kind of bringing my family together. Lots of memories of laughs and great conversations. So when I was thinking about this, the reason that I like a fire is because it creates a culture, it creates an environment. Do you know what I mean by culture? You could think of culture as the combination of values and beliefs and behaviors for a particular group of people. It's the environment of your home. It's the environment of your school. It's the environment of an athletic team or a small group or a workplace or a neighborhood or a church. Culture is about the feel that happens because of who you are and it serves to kind of define what you are like more than anything else. And yet, culture is really hard to define, but it's really important. Maybe you Those of you in business will remember a famous quotation from Peter Drucker when he said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. What does he mean by that? He means that beliefs and values and behaviors of a group of people are usually more important and more powerful than what they plan to do. 
That's true of a family. That's true of the place that you work. That's true of the school that you go to. It's also true of your church. It's true of our church. So next week, we're going to be back in the book of Isaiah, looking at Isaiah 44. But this week, what I want to do is to talk a little bit about how do we think here at College Park about gospel culture and how that relates to bridges of grace. Bridges of grace, think of them as footbridges to one another or massive expansion bridges that cross vast distances in order to reach our community. Today I want to do two things. I want to look at what Romans 12 teaches us about some marks of Christian behavior, Christian gospel culture. And I also want to review some important elements related to our church culture as we make our way into this next year. The reason I'm doing that is because there's so much about our future in our society and culture that we just simply don't know. It reminds me of the moment when my wife and I found out that we were having twins and I was a youth pastor at the church and everything was changing at that church and we were sitting in bed one night and my wife said, Mark, what in the world are we going to do? And quite frankly, I had no idea what I was going to do. I had no idea how we were gonna make it. Here's what I said to her, honey, the way that we're gonna make it is the way that we've made it for these last number of years. We're gonna be God's kind of person, God's kind of partner, God's kind of parent, and God's kind of pastor. That's what we're gonna do every day all the way through this. What is that? Those are values, culture helps you to navigate through difficult and challenging seasons. Before us as a church are a number of just great opportunities and also some ongoing cultural challenges around us. Just to give you a few just things I think you should be really encouraged by, our Christmas offering for the seminary in Ukraine is now at $1.2 million. So thankful for your generosity, praise God. But along with that, couple of neat stories. Our special needs Sunday school class took their own offering of $500, and our student ministries took their own offering for $2,000 and gave that to the Christmas offering, which I was just super encouraged by. December was an excellent month for us financially. Our giving at the end of the year ended up 5% ahead of our budget for the year and 15% ahead just for the month of December alone. I meet people every week now on Sundays who have come to our Christmas concert, people who worship with us Christmas Eve, hearing from people who are still thinking about the subject of waiting and how to explore that even further. And yet at the same time, I came back to work this week and was pretty discouraged and weary because once again, we had to re-engage our COVID team, make a few adjustments so that Sunday morning can happen. And I'm sure like you, you're just tired of the way that life is. I was looking at my calendar this week and I thought, when is my next dentist appointment? So I looked on my calendar, I couldn't find it, did a search, couldn't find it. I, called, I emailed my dentist office, I said, hey, when is my next dentist appointment? And they said, Mark, you haven't been here in two years. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's not right, go check. And they're like, no, seriously, you haven't? And I was like, oh, like, that just, like, that's an emblem of what my life has been like the last two years, and I'm sure it's like yours as well. Like you blink and like, wow, this is crazy. So like you, our staff are, are deeply um, committed to finding ways to be able to love Jesus well during this, these days, but I'm sure you feel it as well. It's, it's easy to be discouraged. So identity and culture relate to who we are and why we do things in a particular way. This is important for two reasons. 
First, every gospel preaching church around the world has the same mission, and that mission from Matthew 28 is to go into all the world and make disciples. That mission is non-negotiable and not new. Every gospel preaching church has the same mission. And yet, there are, are, there's unique ways that we do that as a church, the ways that we express that mission. Between services, uh, I'll be in our Discover event talking to people who are new to our church about who are we, and I'll explain to them that our unique expression of what it means to fulfill Matthew 28 is in our mission statement of igniting a passion to follow Jesus. Several years ago, we created something that we call an identity compass. And it's a way to just simply think about who we are as a church. Now, I'll get to Romans 12 in a minute, but this is really important just to be reminded about who we are, especially as we move forward in uncertain days. So you see our, our mission of igniting a passion to follow Jesus. Then we have six core values, the preeminence of Jesus, the authority of the word, redemptive community, extravagant grace, biblical unity and diversity, and the call to go. So all of these reflect the essence of who we are as a church. Our mission is committed to the gospel, and the way we live that out are in these values that have defined our church since its founding in the 1980s. And those values remain constant. The expression of them is unique during different seasons and different ages and eons, but that is who we are as a church. And then if I could go back, you heard from um, Bob and Karen about our strategy for discipleship, which is belong, become a member, grow, find a class or a group or a Bible study, and then multiply. How can you use your gifts? And then there are these four words that define the culture of College Park Church. And these four words are the words that are sort of the indescribable ethos. What does it mean to be a part of our church? What are we aiming at? And what is... What's, if you were to be around a, a fire, like your clothes would smell like smoke. So what is that thing that makes us as a church unique? What are we aiming for? And here's four words. Depth, a commitment to historical and theological truth anchored in the Bible. Care, that people matter to us and to God. We wanna make a big church feel small. Creativity, to find fresh and new ways to reach people and help them grow. And impact, to change the world one person at a time. And we're trying to do all four of those all the time in a variety of unique ways, which is why on Sunday morning we preach expositionally, but we also have a Christmas concert that's designed to specifically reach into our community. Impact, we try and have a, a Christmas offering that can move the needle on reaching unreached people groups. We've invested millions of dollars in Brookside and trying to figure out how can we launch a, a new counseling center that reaches our neighbors within the five mile radius because of the overwhelming mental health and spiritual needs that exist within our community. And find ways to help us as a church care for one another. How to make a big church feel small. So we call it an identity compass because it's something that helps define who we are and then move us a particular direction, helps us to know where do we go and how do we think about the future. Quite frankly, here we are in January of 2022 and I can't believe we're still wrestling with COVID, can you? <laughs> it's crazy. So much of our lives have changed and we need to find new ways to apply the gospel in our lives, to find new ways 
to live out our mission in whatever this new normal is going to be. I read a great interview of Tim Keller this week, and here's what he said. I think he captures this moment that we're in. And then we'll get to Romans 12. He said this, I'd say that the culture is definitely more polarized than it's ever been. This is a man who's been in pastoral ministry for 40 plus years. I've never seen the kind of conflicts in churches in the past that we see today. In virtually every church, there's a smaller or larger body of Christians who have been radicalized to the left or to the right by extremely effective and completely immersive internet and social media loops, news feeds, and communities. People are bombarded 12 hours a day with pieces that present a particular point of view, and the main way it seeks to persuade is not through an argument, but through outrage. People are being formed by this immersive form of public discourse far more than they are being formed by the church. And this is creating a crisis. No, I haven't faced anything like this in the past. However, and this is really important, lest we throw in the towel and say all is lost. He says the way to navigate such waters is to still follow the book of Proverbs prescription for your words. They must be honest and few extremely well-crafted, usually calm, always aim to edify, and they must be accompanied with lots of silent listening. So I share this because I'd like to help you understand that as we continue to move into whatever our new normal is, it's not something that I just want you to tolerate, it's I want you to see it as an opportunity to be embraced to look around us and to realize that the fields are ripe unto harvest, that this is a great time to be a Christian if you'll act like a Christian. (laughs) This is a moment to realize who Jesus is, that he's on his throne, and to not be on our heels, but instead to be leaning in and saying, I need to get back to some basics in my spiritual life, and even basics as to what it means to be a member of my church. I need to come back to what it means to love God and love others, and let that be the mission of my life, the culture of our church, as we navigate a season again of uncertainty. So, three building blocks for bridges of grace. Three building blocks for bridges of grace. So the 12th chapter of Romans, turning this to this section now here, is about how Christians should live. If you're familiar with the book of Romans, chapter 12 leads off with this explanation that we're to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship, that we're not to be conformed to the world, but instead be transformed. So the whole notion of this chapter is how should Christians live? And it was written to a group of people who were not experiencing ease, but rather difficulty. In verses 9 through 21, Paul gives us a recipe of what Christian character looks like. So for those of you who are followers of Jesus and you know that your sins have been forgiven because you put your trust in Jesus, this is the kind of behavior that understanding the good gospel of grace should produce within you. So it's important to be reminded of these things because it's tempting and easy to forget them. A Christian mindset creates attitudes and actions and responses that are uniquely Christ-like. So what are those key characteristics or three building blocks? Let me just make it really simple, try and help you maybe return to some basics. It looks like love, 
It looks like faithfulness, and it looks like generosity. I'm asking you to think about what it means to love one another. I'm asking you to think about what it means to be faithful. I'm asking for you to think about what it means to be generous. So we begin with a call for genuine love in verse nine. Paul says this, let love be genuine. And then skip ahead to verse 10. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. He starts here with the word love, the word agape, because of the prominence of this command and this characteristic in the life of Christ and in the life of the church. So can I just remind you that if there is one characteristic that is supposed to mark the followers of Jesus and make them unique in the world, it is love. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another in John 15. He said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, John 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says this, faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. And Paul warned the church at Corinth, filled with all kinds of gifts and talents and abilities, that if they did not have love, they were nothing. So love is central to the Christian life. Love is central to the culture of the church. Can I just encourage you that there are people around you who may need to hear more right now. I love you. I'm for you. I think you're amazing. In the midst of an environment where the negative is accentuated and our weariness makes us more critical, it's important to go the other way and to tell people, this is what I love about you. The text invites us to a special kind of love, a sincere love. Paul is advocating here for more than just niceness or friendliness or civility. The vision of the church is more than just a welcoming culture or the absence of conflict. No, the biblical vision here is a group of people who love one another with a depth and genuineness that is stunningly attractive and refreshing. Can I just invite you to think with me that when you wake up and come to church on Sunday mornings, does it cross your mind, this is my opportunity to love other people? What if... Sunday morning was a place where people got up and said, I can't wait to get to church because it's a place where I can be loved and known. Can I just remind you, we crave that and that space is gone in our culture and it creates an opportunity for the church to step in and to demonstrate the uniqueness of the gospel. Listen, this has happened in church history. Tertullian in who lived between 155 and 240 AD, he was an early Christian apologist He said that the pagans said about Christians in the first century, see how they love one another. And the reason that they said that was because the world was hating each other. They were killing each other, and yet Christians were loving one another. Notice he says in verse 10, brotherly affection. This means the kind of love that you would have for family. In the season of persecution, this was more than just a, a feeling. It was a practical expression of what it meant to follow Jesus because Christ and following him was dividing families. Some of you know what that's like. Last Christmas was not a lot of fun. Family environments have been fractured and challenging. Hearts of people are aching to know that they're loved, to know that There's a family affection. 
Paul goes on and he says that we should outdo one another in showing honor. This is an extension of the affectionate love that he says that we should have for one another. It's the kind of attitude that Paul talks about in Philippians 2. Just think of this. Think how strange this is in our present day and environment. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That is weird. That's weird. Nobody does that naturally. And yet it's an incredible opportunity if you as a Christian, because of the love that you have for Jesus, would consider others more important than yourself. Listen, again, this is a great time to be a Christian if you'll apply Christian principles. Churches to be filled with people who consider one another because they are part of the same family, that their gospel identity gets underneath all other identities. Their family identity, their socioeconomic identity, their ethnic identity gets underneath it. What defines me more than anything else is I'm a Christian. And therefore, I love you. So love, here's the second thing. Building bridges of grace involves the building block of faithfulness. Believers are not only to love one another, but they're also to abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Abhor evil, hold fast to what is good. The ESV uses words like abhor and hold fast, and the point here is that the believer's posture towards good and evil can't be passive. Evil is not just to be not tolerated, Evil is to be hated. Good is not just to be hoped for. Good is to be clung to. He calls on us to have an active, leaning in perspective. You need to know that unfaithfulness doesn't simply happen. It doesn't come out of nowhere. Unfaithfulness works our way into our lives as we are no longer shocked or repulsed by evil that's in the world in our culture, in one another, or in the church. Paul has in mind here probably the kind of evil that destroys Christian relationships, things like gossip, slander, bitterness, hurtful words, anger, lying, selfishness, partiality, pride, sexual sin, a host of other issues as well that are equally as harmful. And what he's cautioning about here is these sin issues are not only destructive to the witness of the church and the bond of love, but it actually creates an eroding of faithfulness. Can I trust you in your godliness? At our Think Conference in March, I mentioned last week, we're going to try and lean into the subject of how do you think biblically about the place in which you work? With the increasing secularization of our society, challenges to religious freedom, and a host of other things in a post-Christian environment, we need to think carefully about how do we live righteously. And I trust that your posture won't be just simply on your heels all the time, but you'll be leaning in. I mean, look at what he says in verse 11. Don't be slothful in zeal. Don't be lazy in your commitment to one another. Be careful about the mindset of hunkering down and just trying to make it through the storm of the culture that we're in. Instead, don't be slothful. Lean in. Be fervent in spirit, he says in verse 11. Serve the Lord. means that we're pouring into people who are part of the body, always aware of the fact that ultimately our service is an offering of worship to the Lord. Some of us have found that the last two years 
have caused us to only be concerned about what's happening in our lives, think of the last time that you've actually thought about what it means to serve someone else. I wanna encourage you, find ways to lean in to serve other people, not only because it's good to do, but also because it's a preservative agent for your own soul. In verse 12, there are more statements that focus on the long view. Notice what he says, rejoice in hope. He's calling them to perseverance, calling them to be faithful over the long haul. Be patient in tribulation. The word patient means to bear up and to endure, to not be anxious, but instead stand firm. And then he calls them be constant in prayer, be marked by a continual devotion to prayer, especially when the people of God are facing difficulty. So what is the role of the church in this environment? It is to create a culture and an environment where people know that they are loved, when they're connected to one another by virtue of their bonds formed in the person and work of Christ, who are faithful to follow Jesus and faithful to one another, realizing that living steadfastly is a community project. In other words, you don't remain steadfast very well on your own. That's one of the reasons why at the start of the year we're pushing you, encouraging you to think about ways to connect to the mission of the church, connect to a path for your own spiritual growth, like joining a small group or attending one of our classes or getting involved in one of our women's Bible studies. It's a ministry that we partner with for men called Heart of a Man, a great way for men to gather, hear teaching, and build relationships with one another. Some of you need to participate in prayer week next week because your soul is dry and you need other people to pray along with you so that your soul will be ignited again to seek God's face. The reason we're doing the new 30 is to help you realize the importance of what it means to read the scriptures. This morning I was reading a devotional by Eugene Peterson and he said this, These days, barraged daily with large headlines that accommodate our imaginations of nations at war, we Christians need to affirm our commitment to the minute particulars. The minute particulars of love and prayer that we carry out in the immediate circumstances of our lives. He writes this, our opinions and arguments on world affairs make nothing happen but several times a day we have chances at peacemaking, praying, and loving that implement the kingdom. Our routines accumulate debris, things we once needed and don't anymore, activities that begin as essentials and now produce needless fatigue. We need seasonal house cleanings, otherwise we buy too much and run around too much. Wise Christians get rid of whatever is interfering with who we want to be before God and with each other. Wise Christians go back to the basics. Wise Christians go back to the basics. Love God and love each other. Be faithful over the long haul. Finally, be generous. The body of Christ is to be marked by generosity. It says contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 
A Christian mindset, because of what you've been given in Christ, the fact that he's for you, the fact that you have your sins forgiven, the fact that all that has been given to Jesus has been given to you as a Christian and that everything you have is a gift that makes you uncurl your fingers. It makes you uncurl your fingers from your time and your money and even your emotions, willing to be vulnerable and helpful, willing even to be heard again. Generosity means that I, I don't hoard, but instead I give, trusting that God knows exactly what I need. In the midst of crisis, there's a, a temptation to retreat, hide, harbor, hoard. Can I just encourage you to think through, how could you use your time generously in the next few weeks? How could you even open your home and be able to help one another feel loved and known? What does it mean to give generously and sacrificially, to see what you have as an opportunity to be able to help and to bless others? There can be a tendency in a crisis to only focus on our needs. And generosity is realizing that I've been graced with so much that it's a delight to be able to give God's grace to others. One of the ways that we're trying to think through how to meet the needs of our neighbors and our community is through a community counseling center because we want to position a new bridge that can be built by grace but can bear the weight of truth. A recent survey of our new members indicated that 50% of them know someone in their home or outside their home deeply struggling with anxiety and depression right now. And rather than looking at that and saying, oh my goodness, and then letting that put us on our heels, I'm asking you, inviting you to say, what would it look like if we stepped into that space with the beauty of the gospel and did so in basic ways like loving God and loving others and faithfully communicating the word to be able to meet the needs that are around us. So how should a Christian live? What should the flavor of a Christian mindset be like? What does it mean for a Christian to be a, a living sacrifice? It looks like some basics. The basic culture that needs to define us as a church as we move forward and still increasingly in certain days. It looks like loving one another deeply. It looks like being faithful and filling our minds and hearts with the content of God's word so that we can faithfully follow him. And also it looks like having open hands to be generous to those around us. And I trust that you realize that this list of love, faithfulness, and generosity is unbelievably countercultural. Striking to me how radical these characteristics really are in comparison to the culture around us. And this text has reminded me again that the body of Christ is meant to be very unusual. As we ignite a passion to follow Jesus, find ways to have Sundays be a place where people are known and loved, my prayer, my hope, is that when people come into this very building, when they gather together with us on Sunday mornings, they'll sense something unusual, like a fire that creates a culture. I've told this story in a couple of venues. I'm gonna tell it here on this Sunday morning. Um, 
Have you ever wondered if you encountered an angel? Ever had that? You just kind of walked away going, hmm, maybe. A number of months ago, about six months ago, there was a man that came between services and I was pretty discouraged. I was wearied, multiple challenges and you could probably guess what they were. And between the two services, an old man with two canes was sitting right here at the front of the sanctuary. I got done praying with people and folks had left. It was just about him and me and a few other people in the room. And so I struck up a conversation with him and I said, hi sir, are you here for prayer? And he said, nope, just sitting here looking at the sanctuary, trying to get the lay of the land. And I said, okay, awesome. And I was thinking, you can't sit here forever, right? So I'm thinking I gotta try. I said, well, you know, our second service is gonna start pretty soon and um, you know, we'd love to have you join us. He said, thank you. He said, by the way, what's going on here? And I was like, oh man, here we go, right? And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, I came to this church today and I look around and I see young people and old people. I see white people and black people. I see people of all different walks of life and they are loving each other and caring for each other. I, what's going on here? And I said to him, well, sir, that's, that's what happens when the gospel takes root in the lives of people. And he said, well, whatever is happening here, you better keep it going. And I said, I'll do it my very best, thank you. And then I asked him what his name was. He said his name was Gabriel. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, that's not true, but I really wish it was. <laughs> I so wish it was, because I walked away from that conversation thinking, oh, how I wish that would happen all the time. And can I just invite you to be part of that story of what it means for God's grace and his gospel to help us to love one another deeply, to be faithful to the gospel, and live lives of unbelievable generosity. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, in the middle of a season now where endurance is important and life is still challenging and hard, we, we, we thank you that we get an opportunity to live during this time that we're in. We're thankful for the way the gospel speaks into our lives and into our church, and we pray that you would make us the kind of people today who love one another deeply, who do indeed live faithfully, and whose heart is generous. Uncurl our fingers, we pray, as we live out the gospel in 2022. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.